Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest British comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and my guest for this episode from boysadventurecomics.blogspot.com, it's Richard Sheaf. Welcome to the book club, Richard. Thanks, Eamon. Thanks for having me. That's great. Uh, you got in touch with me by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com with an interesting choice of uh, book from the Treasury of British Comics, which we'll get to in a moment. But we start with your origin stories, uh, 2080 origin stories, or maybe just comics origin stories. What were your first um, memories of reading comics? Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably going to be a comics origin story rather than a 2000 AD origin story. Um, so for me, it was my granddad getting me and my brother a weekly comic each. Um, so starting off probably on those sort of Fleetway nursery titles. Like Gulliver Guinea Pig was in Play Hour. <laughs> Reaching back a bit here, but, but uh, Gulliver right. Guinea Pig was, was an early favourite because we then named one of our guinea pigs Gulliver after after this guinea pig. Uh, so I must have so I must have read Play Hour, uh, and then moved on to the New Eagle in about 1983. So it had been going about a year by then. So it was still on the nice sort of glossy pages, beautiful Ian Kennedy covers hadn't quite moved on to that classic 2000 ad uh terrible printed paper although it didn't take long to get onto the terrible printed paper so yeah so t- new eagle uh, was what i read my brother took one of the uh, humor comics from fleetway so uh, wisdom chips buster that sort of thing so but not not 2000 ad um so that's yeah that's that's to my shame <laughs> Oh, not to worry. But of course, you came across, I think, in the New Eagle, you came across the strip we're going to be talking about today. I did. You're you're absolutely right. Um, so I came across uh, the strip we're going to be talking about today, which is uh, Billy's Boots, uh, which had previously been in Tiger comic, uh, and then Tiger merged with New Eagle in about uh, 1985. And that, that was where I first came across Billy Dane, although he had been running very successfully in Tiger and its predecessor comics, um, for about 15 years by this point already um, but he was in New Eagle for a year uh, and that was where I came across him Okay, excellent so this is, as I said a Treasury of British Comics hardback collection of Billy's Boots written by Fred Baker art by Colin Page, Mike Weston Bill Lacey and Tom Kerr and the stories that we feature uh, in this hardback come from the pages of Scorcher comic from 1970 and 1971. I think we've got a year's worth of strip in here, haven't we? Yeah, 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 52 weeks, so yeah, first year. Okay, so tell us a little bit about why you picked Billy's Boots and this particular book for uh, coming on the book club. Um, I chose this book uh, because I, I really enjoyed uh, Billy's Boots. Like I say, it was only in New Eagle for a year. Um, it, had, it had been in Tiger and then it went off to be in... Roy the Rovers uh, after that um, but but I always loved uh, the, the character the uh, the art by John Giller um, I always thought was fantastic um, and I thought choosing this book was an interesting sort of in to looking at and thinking about football comics um, that Fleetway would have published over the years because I think football comics must be about the most cutthroat in, um, I think in terms of publishing sort of strips because i guess if you have a sci-fi strip and it's not really working out on one planet you just pop off to another planet ch- change the alien of the week um but i think with football strips you know there's cup competitions there's league competitions and there's not much else going on so i think that's why there are so many 
football strips because it's just trying to, you know, that Venn diagram, you know, what is that perfect spot of just about interesting enough in the football with something else as well. So the sort of the soap opera style stories that, uh, that Billy brought to it, which was certainly in New Eagle, um, were something, I guess, that made it a little bit different from just playing football every week. Um, I'm, I'm not an expert on football strips. I find them very hard to you know, when I'm trying to research them because there are so many games of football against teams that have got names which are very similar but not quite the same as teams that you would actually recognize so to go through and go ah that episode is when that happened you know if you're looking back over at Billy's boots or you know sort of even worse Roy the Rovers you know you've got 40 years of football matches that's a lot of football games that look very similar different to trying to remember when a particular you know dread story happened or a, you know a, a Dan Dare story happened because you think ah that's when they were on that planet and there's there's something there which differentiates it from they were playing football this week um so yeah hard to uh, collect and research football stories but anyway but an, an interesting challenge okay and as you say they sort of if a football strip is not to fall by the wayside and one of the things about Billy's Boots is that it certainly didn't fall by the wayside. It had a remarkable uh, longevity to it. But if it if it's to succeed, it needs something other than just the football matches. So give us um, a little bit about this, the basic setup of Billy's Boots um, and the sort of uh, the concept of it. Okay, so for anyone um, who's never come across uh, Billy Dane before, uh, he is probably 11, 12 years old and like all 11 or 12 year old boys you know he likes to play football sadly he is a bit rubbish at football um you know and he suffers the the jeers and the boos from his teammates but as luck would have it he comes into possession courtesy of his gran of a pair of football boots that used to belong to a ace footballer a precise time frame unspecified but probably an interwar footballer called deadshot keen um and the concept is that somehow when Billy puts these boots on, there's magic in them that are boots, uh, and he is turned into an ace footballer. So when he plays with the boots, he's fantastic. He's a centre forward, scores all the goals. When he doesn't have the boots, he's rubbish. So the trick of the script, carried out by Fred Baker for 22 years, is to get Billy to lose his boots. This is, this is a non-football, footballing football strip, if you know what I mean. They are... Yes. This is his kryptonite. When he loses those boots, that's it. He, you know, he, he is mortal. Um, but with the boots, he's, he's immortal. Um, so I guess he's quite different from like a Roy the Race character in in many ways, um, because you know Roy is the is the superhero from the from the start. Um, you know, as, and he's an adult. Billy is is not from that background at all. Um, you know, he's much more sort of the council estate sort of kid uh, with with troubles in his life. You know, it's more opera element to it um and as well he has to try and play football but those darn boots you know they go missing most weeks yes <laughs> so what we've got is two page color strips yep. uh as i say from scorcher comic um and as you say pretty much most weeks he will have trouble with the boots he'll either be playing a match or he'll be on his way to a match and he won't have the boots for some reason. Um, and as you say, Fred Baker, you know, because Fred Baker writes it for all 22 years, I think, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. One of those sort of writers, you know, who could 
you know, you've only got two pages, you know, you need a beginning, a middle and an end in that. And you've got to keep it churning week after week after week and keep it interesting and keep it relevant. And I guess you've got to keep it near the top of the popularity charts um, as well. So, yeah, it's a fantastic effort. And also, I mean, we, you know, we mentioned the longevity of this strip and also, you know, British comics famous for hatching, matching and dispatching. You know, I've said it started in Scorcher. You picked it up when it was read- when it was in New Eagle in the eighties. Yeah. Um, how did it get from Scorcher all the way to New Eagle and beyond? Uh, so yeah, you're right. So it started in Scorcher in uh, nineteen seventy. That ran as a title for about eighteen months, and then it merged with an- another football comic uh, called Score and Raw, and that gave you Scorcher and Score. Um, in 1971, that then ran for about three and a half years to towards the end of 1974, and then it merges into sort of the one of the granddaddies of sports tie, uh, titles, Tiger. That was in 1974. I mean, Tiger's already been going 20 years by this point, uh, and it's hoovering up these comics. Then a decade later, Tiger then merges into New Eagle in uh, 1985. Billy stays in New Eagle for a year until he is then himself transferred into Roy the Rovers in 1986 and stays there for another four years. And then Roy the Rovers then becomes Roy the Rovers a monthly. And then again, that runs for another few years. So you end up Billy running continuously from the 10th of January 1970 to the 20th of March 1993 through all these various iterations um, of, of comics. So it's a fantastic run. Yeah, it is absolutely uh, astonishing. Um, and unlike, I suppose, Roy Race, who grew up slightly over the decades, uh, you know, did sort of age slightly, Billy Dane stays um, pretty much the same age, does he, throughout? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, he, he changes schools a few times. Uh, yep. Even in the sort of the first episode of, of the new reprint volume you know he has the the skinny skinny legs that you know 11 year old boys should have you know i think they're fantastic um but no he, he's basically about the about the same age um for for, for the whole strip never, never really grows up yeah it's fantastic i mean you, i know you mentioned that when we were swapping notes about this book that you know he's a real skinny legged schoolboy footballer and you you get the impression that they've all just basically taken their blazers off and put yeah. their boots on, and that's about it. And that's you know that's that's the kit. It's real jumpers for goalposts sort of stuff. It is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I should perhaps mention that um, my earliest memories of comics, uh, and I don't know if it was, it may have been Scorcher or Score, but my when my dad was buying me my first comics, the two strips I remember, one was Alf Tupper, the Tough of the Track. Oh, right. um, yeah. which my dad loved and then the other one was Billy's Boots so this is real sort of <laughs> first comic stuff for me as well and my my dad always uh, reckoned that Deadshot Keen who you know the boots came from was possibly based on real footballer Dixie Dean who uh, again my dad was a great fan of so yes D- Dixie Dean was a I think he played for Tranmere and then he was a sort of big money transfer to Everton uh so yeah interwar player scores a phenomenal amount of 349 goals in just under 400 games for everton 18 goals for england in 16 appearances and you know if you believe wikipedia it would tell you that he didn't like being called dixie he preferred the name bill or billy so billy billy dean was his 
was you know his preferred name so billy dean to billy dane that's, that's not much of a stretch of anybody's imagination um yeah so um uh, yeah he's i mean and he, and he appears in this strip i hadn't really come across him before because like i say when he was when billy was in new eagle it was quite soap opery in terms of you know his gran is in a coma following a traffic accident um so she's not really in it at all and he's basically on the run from a council care home for a year and goes to stay with all these slightly distant relatives and gets into you know scrapes and trouble uh, with them whilst at the same time trying to play football uh, or, or a footer sorry I think we should call it footer um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's my big takeaway from Billy's Boots is that it's not football it's footer he yeah. loved playing footer so yeah it was a very different strip but, but Deadshot Keen features in in this first volume as a you know a, a pensioner sort of figure um, but, but he's in it but he meets him you know they get on he goes to his house um, he, Deadshot King gives him gives Billy his first international cap you know his England cap um, and so I'd never met Deadshot King uh, until I read this volume just recently Oh right because also in this volume he's got a, uh, Billy's got a copy of Deadshot King's biography is it or an auto I'm not sure if it's an autobiography and he um, he uses it sort of like as research for big mm. games because uh, he finds that his own sort of life and exploits often parallels with Deadshot Keen, doesn't it? Uh, it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you know that he, he's reading that uh, when when I was reading that in New Eagle because he he takes that that inspiration, that courage, sees those parallels between them. I mean, you know. I'm not. Nobody is quite sure why the boots work. You know, their magic. And <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, when I was reading this, I, I thought to myself, oh, wouldn't it be great if somewhere, you know, in about volume four, you know, the the romance between Deadshot Keen and Billy's Gran is revealed, uh, and we realise that actually it's the DNA of Billy recognising the sweat of his grandfather uh, in in his boots that that makes them magic. But I, ah, right. <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to happen, but uh, but but, <laughs> but who knows? You've got to string this stuff out for 22 years. You know, you you you've got to go for it. So we'll we'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, yeah, so some sort of genetic memory, and of course, the boots themselves are sort of, as you say, they're they're um, they're very early 20th century leather clodhopper type boots. Oh, yeah, is, you know, they're, they're fantastic, aren't they? I'm just they are. I know everything. If you wait long enough, everything comes back into fashion. But but I fear. The, you know, there's never going to be the whatever the Nike, Nike Vaporfly equivalent of these boots is that these are never coming back into fashion, but they are fantastic. Not at all, no. <laughs> but they do appear. They do appear, of course, in the logo for the strip on each first page. Billy's boots, and there are the old brown leather, sort of rather high ankled boots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although the, he does, he manages to pick up a few a few more pairs because he's always, as you say, he's losing them, isn't he? <laughs> and, it, and it's not just one pair of boots. It's you know, it's just boots that Deadshot had worn that that's yes. enough so which is why the dna link is important too right <laughs> now we're going to talk about the creators because that's interesting stuff but before we get to that you did mention about football comics yeah and about you know they need that extra sort of nugget to succeed and as you say roy race is the superhero of, of british football comics yeah. um who can do anything billy can only do it because of the boots it seems yeah um but i also i mean i thought in a way, although it's he's got magic boots, or maybe as you say, genetic memories, um, it, he's a very sort of relatable character for the kids you know who would be reading the comics at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, Roy, you know, for all his 
uh, you know, is almost his superpowers on the football pitch. You know, he's, he's an adult, even though he went right at the start of, of Tiger. You know, he's trying to get into the Melchester Rovers first team. So he's sort of 15, 16, right at the start. And then, you know, he becomes an uh, an adult uh, and is in the first team thereafter. Um, but so that's a lot of years being an adult, whereas Billy is, is the sort of 11, 12 year old sort of target market for these comics from the from the from the start um like i guess other characters other footballing characters like nipper or raven on the wing you know they're they're people they're they're, they're children playing football so so very different from the setup with roy um and i think he you know he doesn't have a superpower like say it's the boots um so again and it's jumpers for goalposts sort of stuff so I, i think i think it's very relatable Yes, and of course, whenever he hasn't got the boots on, he kicks the ball and it goes off at all weird angles and he stubs his feet and trips, you know, he's always falling over. And, he, you, you know, for us mud-soaked kids <laughs> running around on horrible pitches, uh, unable to do all the things that we could see footballers doing on the telly, I think Billy Dane is a very relatable hero, actually, to be reading about. Yeah, and he plays for, you know, it's a real variety of teams i mean some of the story in, in this first volume is about the sort of this slow ascension into almost trying to get into the england boys team so that's quite sort of glamorous and high profile and he goes to matches where which are being played at first division grounds as they were doing called then with crowds of you know thousands tens of thousands of people turning up to watch these sort of slightly and probably turning up to watch these schoolboy football matches but at the same time, he just loves playing football so much. He will play for anybody, anytime. Um, so he plays for teams that play on the local rec, wherever they are. He goes on holiday. He's playing football on the beach. You know, he just wants to play football all the time. He has that sort of 11-year-old boy's desire to just be playing football um, for, who, for whoever it is. He, it doesn't matter almost to him that it's England boys that he's, he's aiming at. It's He wants to play football. That's, that's all he wants to do. He has that sort of relentless desire yeah uh, fantastic and of course you mentioned his gran i mean he is like many a classic comic book hero he is an orphan it would appear uh who lives with his gran who is the sort of aunt may character who as you say she ends up in a coma in in new eagle i gather yeah i mean i mean she's mainly heroically uninterested in football you know completely (laughs) she's just sort of you know she's the complete sort of mum you'll never guess what i've been picked to play for england that's nice, dear. Would you like a cup of tea? You know, she's you know she's she's not to be moved or, or persuaded that that he's doing anything of any use. Um, and then towards the end of of this first volume, she she blocks his attempts to to sign professional papers um, uh, because she doesn't feel you know she's antagonistic towards his footballing career. But but she is mainly deeply uninterested um, so yeah inadvertent comic relief with her uh, appearances, but. Yeah, like I say, when I came across her, she wasn't. I think she's in about the last three panels of a whole year's worth of strips because the plot devices. She's in a coma following a traffic accident, and Billy has been sent to live in a council home. He doesn't want to live there, or he has troubles there, so he 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 runs away. But he takes his grand's address book with him, so that he has this sort of oh, oh yeah, I could go and see Aunt Beryl. I haven't seen her since I was five. She's bound to put me up. So he you know he's not living the life of a or a homeless kid for a year it's he has places to go but then he gets there and in that soap opera way he has troubles when he gets there with these relatives who can exploit him take advantage of him um so he's always slightly 
trying to move on from it, from one set of relatives to another. Um, right. Okay, that's interesting because in this volume, I noticed there's a couple of times that basically they move house, and so he has to move school, and then he has to start all over again. It, it seems very strange. I mean, they, like I say, I mean, they move house in within about four panels, and after about fifteen episodes, they're just we're moving to the north next week, and that, yep. it, and I'm not clear. It doesn't really solve a plot problem. It doesn't really create. It, I suppose it creates a new school and new bullies and challenges for him to face. Um, and then right at the end, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say again in about two panels, his house burns down. So they'll have to move again. So, um, and since it's Fred Baker doing the scripting the whole way through, it's not like you sort of think, well, that's somebody come in as a new um, script um, and taking it all apart and said, no, no, we're going to do something different. No, it's the same guy doing it. So, so he moves and he just, you know, he plays for new teams. Um, I think I, I, I looked through it and I think he plays for nine teams in the course of his 52 weeks, but he plays for some of the teams more than once. So he plays, I think he plays about 18 teams or something. I know, some incredible number. You know, he, he will play for, you know, one team one week and then another next week it's a different team and it's back to the original team two weeks after that. Um, so, yeah, he's, you know, it's that constant desire to be playing football and achieving something, although he's maybe achieving different things with different teams. He's trying to get to play for England schoolboys, really. Um, but then he's also sort of will be in a cup competition. He'll be in a with his sort of local team on the rec, but he's probably also in a school competition and they're playing as well. So there's different football themes or strands that are appearing sort of simultaneously in his life. So I guess that's keeping it interesting as well. Um, and it also, because they're playing a lot of cup competitions rather than league competitions, gets around that problem that I always had with Roy the Rovers where they would spend three weeks playing one game. And then obviously, because in real life, you would have played three games in three weeks. You have to have that bit where, and suddenly six weeks later, they'd played another 10 games, which all happened sort of stage left when you weren't watching because you had right. to but with the with the football season so that it sort of ended at the right time. But you could never squeeze in 36, 38 games into Roy the Rovers. You could fit about 10 games in and then just lots you just had to sort of skip over with a, with three games of the season to go, Rovers needed four points to win the win the title, that sort of thing. And it's like, hang on, what about all those football matches? No, I'm yeah. those. Move along. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's great stuff. Let's, I'm going to get us on to talking about the creators because I know that's you know a particular area of interest for you, and it's some creators that we haven't necessarily come across on this this podcast. Um, but just one more thing before we leave Billy and his boots. Am I right in thinking he did find a pair of cricket boots at one point as well? So yeah, so he plays uh, he plays cricket as well. N- not in not in this volume, um, but I've got some other reprint volumes which we might talk about later in the podcast, uh, which show him playing cricket, uh, and they are Deadshot Keen's cricket boots. So I'm um, of course, <laughs> <laughs> of course they are. You know that that genetic memory works well because I suppose you know in that interwar football away, you would have you know if you're a that sort of superstar athlete in inverted commas, you would have played football in the winter and you would have played cricket in the summer. Um, you know, there was there were no year-long contracts for anybody. You know, you're getting paid by the week. You would have been one of those people who would have aspired to play for England at, at both sports in a way that a, a few, a very few people managed to do. So so it is echoing that. So, so I think it's re- realistic that Deadshot would have had a pair of... Um, 
cricket boots. Um, but but uh, yeah, I have no idea how um, Billy actually gets hold of them. But he's also he's on a couple of covers um, of Tiger annuals playing cricket, which right. is really surprising because clearly he plays football very successfully for 22 years and he gets on the cover of Tiger annuals half a dozen times and, and two of those are him playing cricket. So I don't think he plays a lot of cricket over that 22 years, but, but on a couple of occasions he gets to be on, on the front of the of the annual playing cricket, which, which seems a, a bit anomalous given that he must play a lot more football than cricket, but but I'm a big cricket fan, so, so I like him being on the front of a Tiger annual playing cricket. It's good for me. I'm trying to remember the name of the cricketer... Uh, I think, as you say, an interwar cricketer who also played for uh, football for England. I think, possibly, maybe one, I think he was one of the original Brill Cream Boy advertisers. But uh, yeah, it used to happen, didn't it? You could you could back then play football and cricket. Um, you know, football. Yeah, and did, did, cricket uh, did Dennis summer. Compton play? I'm not That's sure. That's the chap. I think it's Dennis Compton who yeah. played. Or he maybe didn't play for England football, but he certainly played for a good standard of football. He might have played for Arsenal. I'd have to. Ah. Well, without without googling it, I couldn't tell you. But yeah, I think maybe at a real turn of the twentieth century, you could have played for England at football and cricket uh, as a gentleman. Uh, but yeah, by the interwar years, um, it, it would have been harder to get to that England standard. I think. But yeah. Uh, but but enough to get to play professionally. Um, and I think even even up till I mean, Lee, uh, Ian Botham. I mean, he he had a go, didn't he? He, he had a, he had a go. His his son as well. I remember Liam Botham. He, he he played a couple of sports, but yeah. So I think he played for Scunthorpe. Ian Botham, something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I think he would have been, you know, the last, you know, that that's in the early eighties. He would have been the last player to either have needed to to do that. But I mean, a lot of uh, fine cricketers. Um, are fine footballers. I think Phil Neville still holds a lot of Lancashire age group records um, for cricket because you know he was such a fantastically talented sportsman. You know he was brilliant at football. He was brilliant at cricket. Um, so yeah, you know it, it could still happen. So yeah, Phil yeah. Neville, check him out as a cricketer. Yeah, all right. I do, actually, I do remember hearing that story that at yeah. some point he had to make the decision, didn't he? He had to make a call as to which one it was going to be. Yeah, so I imagine that means that Gary Neville would also have played cricket to you know um to a certain standard as well um but yeah yeah so it still goes on but yeah that sort of cut off point comes sooner and sooner because no, nobody wants you getting injured uh you know getting whacked by a cricket ball uh, and putting you out of action for several weeks from a football team so no they wouldn't know it now, would they? <laughs> <laughs> okay so here we have a year's worth of billy boots billy's boots um two pages as we say the the way, the number of, the manner of ways that he can find to lose and refine the boots just in the nick of time, is remarkable. Which takes us on to the writing. So it's certainly Fred Baker's the first time he's come up on the podcast. And one of the things I do like about the Treasury of British Comics is it's bringing back all these creators, so that we're now aware of them. Tell us, tell us a bit more about Fred Baker um, and what else he was writing. Uh, so, so I've come across fred baker um in again from new eagle because that's what i was reading uh where he he wrote a strip uh for a year which was called uh, crow street comp 
so in the you know this is the era you know the, probably the highlight of you know, Grange Hill's popularity. Um, so maybe you know it's no surprise to find uh, um, something like that lovingly ripped off in the in the pages uh, of your of your favourite comic. So he wrote that, and that's again it's you know it's a story about you know a comprehensive school. So the children are a bit older than Billy. Um, so you know it's just sort of a, a gang of characters and the. Escapades and troubles they get into at school, and again, it has that sort of soap opera element to it, bringing characters in, taking characters out. It's quite is easier to do in that setup because you know people can come and go from a school quite quite easily. You know, they can be expelled or they just move away. You know, next week they moved away. Oh, that was it. You know, that's the end. But yeah, so so Fred wrote that. um, I think it ran for about on and off uh, for about eighteen months all in. But but he wrote about. He wrote all of that, um, so that was how I've come across Fred Baker. So again, you know, that sort of two pages a week or whatever it was, just you know, be able to churn that out um, in, in the nicest possible way um, for, for a year. But he, he did some other sort of one-off strips. You can find him in. Uh, I think he did one issue of Scream, uh, a one-off story in there, a one-off story. Uh, there was the the Collector in New Eagle, which I guess is a bit like a like a like a uh, what would you call it? A, a thrill shock? No, that's the wrong word for it. Uh, a future shock. Yeah, a, a one-off twist in the tail sort of story. So one of those for uh, for New Eagle as well. So yeah, but it's so it sounds like a sort of a Fleetway uh, mainstay for a, a very long time, Fred Baker. Yeah, so I think he did uh, Hot Shot Hamish, another football strip, didn't mm. he? Yeah, yeah, I love, love Hotshot. Um, yeah, that's and um, there's been one volume of that. That was a there was a Hotshot Hamish annual somebody put out in 2009. Uh, but yeah, I used to uh, love Hotshot. You know, it was such a ridiculous story. You know, he was such a uh, a, a crazy character. You know, who's they managed to take one one skill, which is kicking a ball very hard, uh, and spin that into years and years of stories about kicking a ball very hard or I guess in some cases you know you have to stop him playing football because you know it's too obvious and it's too easy when he plays you have to separate Hamish from the football a bit a bit like you have to do with with Roy for Roy the Rovers and, and like you have to do for Billy you know they have this one amazing skill so part of the art is is to do something else with them to in, to endanger the team to put an element of risk into the story because else you just know that they they should just win everything every week um, and, and that's that's not so exciting so so the, to break your run for 22 years uh, or you know 40 years in Roy's case you have to take them away from the football uh, yes re- reasonably yeah. often uh, yeah. which is tricky in a football story these are sort of strange non-footballing stories uh, that successfully ran for all these years um, but but I think you have to do that because else the, there's no element of danger or surprise once they start playing football you expect them to win yeah, I was, I mean, I was astonished, to, you know, as I say, I remember reading it as one of my first comics and loving it. Yeah. But I was, you know, when I was, when I got this volume and when you we, you and I started exchanging some notes, astonished to find that it, it lasted 22 years and it was the same writer throughout. And his remarkable ingenuity in mm. um, the soap opera elements and the, as you say, the kryptonite. How many times can you exploit the, the Billy's kryptonite yeah uh, I'd say, i think one of my my favorite examples of billy losing his boots comes from one of the they put out fleetway put out a couple of um holiday specials the best of billy boots holiday specials and there's one of them uh which actually has art 
by all sorts of people in it. Ron Turner, Ian Kennedy, John Giller. You know, it's a fantastic selection of people drawing Billy's artwork. And in one of them, Billy, uh, you know, the laces have been sabotaged on his boots. And his boot goes flying over the, the fence surrounding the ground. Uh, and they hop up over the fence. And there's just a road there. And there's no sign of his boot. And his boot has completely disappeared, and they have no idea where it's gone. But obviously, it's one of Deadshot King's boots, so now he has to play with one good boot and one duff boot. Um, and they can't work out where this boot has gone. But luckily, in the script, in the story, we can see what's happened. So what has happened, obviously, is that Billy's boot had flown over the hedge, uh, sorry, over the fence. It had landed on a milk float, it says here, dropped off into the road, uh, picked up by a tramp who threw it onto a building site... Once it got onto the building site, it was then scooped up by a digger and ended up ready for the base of a new motorway. That was what I couldn't find it. Of course, of course, that was what happened. And yet somehow, even though it was ready to be the base of a new motorway, it was still scooped up and rescued and not uh, put at the bottom of the M25 or whatever they were building. So, you know, that, that that's what happened. That's why they couldn't find the boot. It's, it's obvious, really, when you think about it. Absolutely, yes. And I'm just looking at the pages in the middle of this volume where his kit bag goes in the water and he has to dive underwater to rescue the boots, uh, which is quite dramatic. And I think the minibus went in the water at some point as well, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, he has to nearly drown himself uh, a couple of times on this attempt. And yeah, again, it's, you know, he's he's got to keep hold of the boots or the bag or the, uh, you know, if you can get separated from them uh, in, in all these in ingenious ways week after week um that, that then you've got a story in your hands so so hats off to fred baker or maybe a wave of the football scarf for doing 22 years of the one strip <laughs> yeah. uh, which is astonishing but uh, of course during that time multiple artists uh we've got four artists in this particular volume uh tell us a little about those and then also about some of the other artists who would go on to do billy's boots uh, beyond this yeah, so I, I would say at, at the outset, it's got a lot of artists' names written on the front page, uh, Mike Weston, Bill Lacey, Tom Kerr, Colin Page, but then inside it doesn't actually tell you who's um, illustrating which episodes. Um, so that would be my plea for Volume 2, is if we're confident enough about these are the artists' um uh, to, to name them uh, to see where they fit in um, but I'm indebted to Lou Stringer um, who, I, who has identified that it's uh, Mike Weston draws the first uh, two episodes and Mike Weston is probably an artist that you've covered on this podcast more than the other artists who are uh, Bill Lacey uh, who draws uh, yeah, pages 6 to 23 and then Tom Kerr who draws the majority of the rest of the strip 24 to page 107 and I'm, and I'm not sure where how or where Colin Page fits into that. Um, I think if he is fitting in somewhere, he must be ghosting one of the other artists' style uh, particularly successfully, which, which I think was one of his skills, that, that he could do that, or he had a studio of people who could do that for him. Um, so, yeah, so Mike Weston is probably, of those artists, the name that is most familiar to people, but probably the artist that people most associate with Billy's Boots is John Gillett. Um, and he was certainly the artist that I associated with Billy, and he illustrated Billy for the majority of its life. But he's not the artist here. So if you if you think you know what Billy looks like with a sort of you know slightly tousled hair, bit of a uh, frown on, 
that that Billy isn't isn't here because John Gillett isn't in Volume One. Uh, we, I'm not sure when we have to wait for John Gillett to arrive, you know, but it's but it, but he's not in this volume, so this probably isn't a Billy that physically people are familiar with. I would say. Okay, um, I mean John Gillett's name. That's I, I, I confess I don't know very much about. What would we know him from elsewhere? Uh, I mean John Gillett is a fantastic artist um, who worked um, for Fleetway and its predecessor companies um, for 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 such a long time. He worked on an old strip, uh, Jet Ace Logan, sort of a. a oh right, yes. Uh, that 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 was in Comet. Uh, in the late 1950s, uh, and then moved into Tiger, and actually, and one of them is reprinted in the first Star Lord annual. You know, a classic case of you know taking something from the archive and stuffing it in an annual uh, to, to save money. Um, I think that that's as close as he got to ever working uh, for for Tharg. Um, but he also worked uh, on Speed. There was a strip in there called Quick on the Draw, uh, which was a Western strip. He drew Dan Dare in the New Eagle for a little bit, um, and he's also his art also features in the the slightly dodgy copyright violations Ahoy uh, classic action holiday special from 1990, which has all these sort of oh yes classic characters, but but re envisaged by other artists. Um, so yeah, so you know he was working for Boys Comics for Fleetway um, for you know 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, up to probably the nineties, uh, when he and then he eventually finished there. He worked on the the Scorer um, series, which ran in the Daily Mirror as their sort of version of the Striker newspaper strip um, that was being run in the Sun at the time. Um, so yeah, very, very distinctive sort of style, very round shoulders, very detailed sort of cross hatching on people. Um, so yeah, you know. D- d- I, I can't even imagine how many thousands of pages he must have turned out. Um, so yeah, no, he's a, a fantastic artist, John Killer. Well, I, it's yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because as uh, I'm looking at an article that you wrote about Billy's boots for Comic Scene magazine, issue oh, yeah. one from April 2019, and John Gillett's career. You mentioned it right as you just said. He ran, ran from the 1950s. And sadly, he only passed away a couple of years ago, didn't he? I think at the age of eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. November twenty sixteen. Yeah. So right. yeah, yeah. Um, and I can see some of his uh, artwork on the um, uh, some of the reprints. That's uh, there's some covers in your or attached to your article, which we'll talk about a little bit in a moment mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Okay, so a fantastic, uh, you know, number of artists attached over the years. Um, I like, you know, I keep saying this. I do love the fact that the Treasury of British Comics is actually naming these creators so that we get to know more about them. Although, as you say, it would be nice to have the page number attributions for the individual artists in this book. Uh, yeah, thanks to Mr. Stringer for <laughs> giving us. <laughs> yeah, like I say, it'll, it'll become easier in future volumes when it's just. John Gillett. John Gillett, yes. <laughs> Brackets all, you know. Yeah. Um. It's great stuff. It's, you know, it's the start of a 22-year journey for Billy Dane and Deadshot Keane's boots. Um, but, you know, amazingly enough, it even has life beyond that because um, this is a story that gets reprinted more or less around the world, it seems. Yeah, I mean, I think the... 
uh, the in whatever you would call them, the international syndication department um, of of Fleetway and its uh, predecessors. You know, they they sold strips. All, all over the world. I mean, I, I've looked. Dan Dare is my particular interest, and, and I've looked at where Dan Dare and the sort of versions of Eagle and Girl uh, e- ended up. Um, and they're and they're not unusual. I mean, Dan Dare has a particularly global uh, presence in terms of countries his work or his stories have been reprinted in. Um, but like I say, that that's not unique. You know, you can go to france uh and buy you know sort of 70s little sort of digest comics uh and they're, and they're stuff full of things you go oh hang on wait a minute this is from 2000 ad this is a football strip from probably from dc thompson you know because they were at it as well you know there are plenty of strips that you'll recognize um and and in a couple of occasions um so billy is one and the other one would be the other character that uh, treasure of british comics have just put out uh, would be janus stark not only were their stories reprinted overseas, but they then went on to have a life beyond those stories when when the when the originals ran out. Um, so in Billy's case, he's reprinted uh, in a series of about thirty volumes um, in uh, in Dutch. So thirty volumes, they're probably about fifty pages each. Uh, so you know that that's that's a lot. Um, of of Billy's stories that were reprinted overseas, and and the most interesting thing about them, and why I wrote the article for Comic Scene, is that while the contents were reprints, they each had a new cover um, commissioned by John Gillett for them. So so he provides unique covers for those stories. Um, so it was great to see his art, you know, a, a new view, um, this art that hadn't been seen before. Um, so yeah, so he so he is fantastic to to see yeah it's astonishing i mean you know who knew or well i didn't know you did obviously that billy's boots was so successful in uh, in holland finland yeah uh, all around the world yeah you know that he his career continued or at least his you know his adventures were reprinted and translated uh, all around the world so yeah it's the issue of comic scene which has got Roy of the Rovers on the front cover it was the football issue yeah. uh, and there's your article right in the middle about Billy's boots in Dutch which is great stuff so track that down if you've not uh, not come across it we'll talk a little bit more about your writing later on so yes 22 years um, a number of comics a number of artists the same writer um, and then here it is collected for us, you say there's been some Fleetway collections mm. on and off before. There's a, yeah, there's a, there's a couple. So there's, there's there's two issues of a strip or a, no, sorry, a magazine called the Best of Billy's Boots Holiday Specials. Um, so one of them, the first one, which if you're looking for it is priced 85p, has got a lot of John Giller art in it. But the, the second one, which is priced at 95p, you know, it has a much wider selection of artists drawing Billy's boots. So I'm not sure where they came from. I, I guess because it's a holiday special, they haven't been specially commissioned. They've been culled from other annuals or um, holiday, you know, Roy the Rovers holiday specials along the way. Uh, but you've got Ian Kennedy drawing him. You've got Mike Weston. Uh, you, you have got some uh, John Gillett in there as well, some Ron Turner. Um, so, you know, it's a fantastic selection um, of, of people uh, involved. So that's, uh, those two holiday specials. And then there was also a series of, reprints called the best of Roy the Rovers uh, monthly um, which 
is not exclusively Roy the Rovers content, although there is always a bit of Roy the Rovers content in it. It features some of the other strips that were in Roy the Rovers. So those issue 18 and issue 25 are, are almost exclusively uh, Billy Dane content. And again, it's drawn by John Giller. It's not taken from the early years of, of Scorcher. Okay. And then, you know, let's get to the Treasure of British Comics then, um, because this particular hardback, and it is a very, it's a lovely hardback, Ooh, volume, which I guess yeah. we've both got, haven't we? Yeah. Um, but it was due a year ago, and of course, I know that it was delayed because of the reproduction problems, um, because I guess it's tricky work for them to actually produce nice, clean uh, artwork for this. Yeah, I mean, I imagine. I mean, I haven't got any copies of Scorcher, but I can imagine it's. Uh, you know, if it's on, you know, terribly thin paper, um, then then yeah, to to get those those scans done uh, is hard. It's also the you know the the color um, is. I don't know enough about printing, but you know the color is often overlaid on top, um, so you have to. The, the color doesn't quite always line up precisely where it, where it should be uh, given the drawings. Um, so yeah, it, it's. I, I think they've done probably a fantastic job with it. If you can imagine what a copy of of Scorer looks like that they've had to try and scan and take out all the all the art from other strips that probably bleeds through on the on the first time you, you scan it in. I think that's the problem, isn't it? Yes, I should imagine. I, I'm. I think I'm right that this is the first colour um, volume of the Treasury that we've covered. So I should imagine on the black and white ones it's slightly easier, but with colour bleed through, I'm presuming that's what caused more difficulties for them. Mm. Because as we know, they were scanning from library copies of these comics rather than from original artwork or from uh, plates or anything like that. <laughs> But we have to, you know, shout out to Joseph Morgan, uh, Emma Denton and Richard Tustian, who are the reprographics department, for producing such, you know, a lovely result. You know, obviously it's caused them a few headaches along the way, I should imagine. Yeah, yeah, no, no, like I said, I mean, you know, uh, it, it, it looks fantastic and hopefully that they've learned a lot from the process, but, uh, but I'm not sure... If you wanted to do a second volume, you probably have, you know, you you know what the problems are, and you you know how much of a, a problem the bleed through will be. So either you're more conservative about when you could print a volume two, you know, if, if sales on volume one um, are are good enough. Um, but it does look, um, you know, they've they made it look as fantastic as as they could do. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and obviously, as you say, we hope for more. We hope for more hard copies uh, on future volumes because these yeah. are lovely. And there's some very nice blown-up images they've done on the end papers mm. uh, of a couple of panels, which are great, um, a few of those. I'm looking at the back end papers, Billy in the air heading, and at the start there's that sort of opening page of the schoolboys running onto the pitch in their blazers all saying which player they're going to be oh yeah the, with, with them running on that's, I mean that's blown up the first frame you know and that you, know, you wouldn't know it was, it was blown up you know that, that that's reproduced fantastically well that's, that's a beautiful piece of Mike Western art you know fantastic use of blacks um, that, that he's familiar with you know if you think about you know the Sarge or something you know those those really solid blacks um, so yeah so, so I love that first one and actually the end papers show Billy heading a goal and actually you know on a, you know he does score a reasonable number of headed goals you know it is not just all the boots he is able to score a headed goal but normally when he has the boots on, you know, without the boots, he isn't scoring any headed goals. You know, he needs the confidence. He needs the uh, 
the, the DNA from the boots to uh, to really get him going. But but he can score a good headed goal. Yes, the boots make him leap like a salmon. And they also, <laughs> they've got remarkable positional sense as well, haven't they? They know exactly where to be on the pitch. Exactly. <laughs> they, they, they do move him around in a sort of, uh, but the boots are making me go over here. He says, running away, you know, running, literally running away from the football. But he's just, you know, the art of being in the right place at the right time to, you know, get a, get a knockdown, get a rebound um, and just, you know, back, bang it in the back of the net. Job done. Yeah. So, uh, Billy's Boots from the Treasury of British Comics is available, as we say, in hardback. It says on the back 19.99, but I, I see that the, the 2080 website has it listed as 14.99. So yeah. I guess it's on special offer at the moment. Yeah. Uh, or there's a 9.99 digital version, as ever. Um, and it is beautiful, and we do hope for so many more. And you know, congratulations to the team for um, the work on reproducing it. And also, I think you know, I keep banging on about this, but bringing back some of these creators because uh, when all this stuff was coming out, nobody knew who was writing or drawing this. We just, you know, we just followed the comics, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the issue of you know creator credits um, is something that always intrigues me um because i see i'm not suggesting that you know kev o'neill is putting this out there but you know there's this i'm not sure it's an idea that you know kev o'neill invents credit boxes or he just resurrects them uh right. but be, because i think he resurrects them because in some you know if you go back to the original eagle you know from 1950 you look in that first episode strangely almost all the strips are credited there are right yes. credits on them and they continue to be and, and maybe there are strips and comics before 1950 that are applied to, but, but I don't have any like that in my collection. Um, and those credit boxes then get sort of, I guess, you know, the sort of the, the takeovers happen in the 60s and the sort of the original publisher of uh, Eagle, Holton, Holton Press, uh, get bought out and, and they get squeezed out. So I can see that, you know, at some point those credit boxes will die off and therefore they do need to be resurrected uh, by, by Kev Um but, but but they're not invented by Kev, and I'm not suggesting he's saying they that he did invent them. But but I see I perceive that it's often said that he's invented them. Um, but you're right. And these days, when you're looking at it, you know nobody at the time would have been able to say, "Oh, this is Tom Kerr, this is Mike Weston." Um, it's no, wouldn't have been. No, it's just you know it's another episode of Billy's Boots, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Well, let's talk about the artwork for a moment longer. Let's get you to choose a grail page or two, uh, including, you know, covers of reprints and so on. What would you pick to hang on your wall should any of this original art have, have, have survived, which sadly, of course, I don't think it does. Uh, no, no, I think you're right. It doesn't. Um, I would, if I was picking a page uh, from the Treasury reprint, so, so Mike Weston, you know, is an artist that, that I'm – most familiar with and you know read a lot of his stuff when i when i was growing up and i think he's fantastic so he only draws the first two episodes um so that wouldn't give me very many to choose from so i think i would choose the the first episode because that that first panel when they're running out of the school uh the boys saying who they're going to be that's great you get to see the boots for the first time billy looking at them so yeah i, I would i would pick the first the first page of of the treasury uh, reprint, um, if if I could, um, excellent. Thank you very much. Um, and then, if I was looking further afield to uh, sort of a, a John Giller image, um, I would probably ask for one of the uh, the Dutch reprints. 
and uh, which are a lot of them obviously are, are busy playing football, scoring goals in the in the rain, and you know tackling people. Um, but but volume nineteen um, is a is a different image. It shows Billy in in bed uh, and the sort of the ghost of Deadshot Keen. I'm not trying to make it sound scarier than it is because it's not a very scary image um, because the lights are on. But there's sort of the the ghost of Deadshot Keen is there um, in a red and white top, almost looking like he was playing for Arsenal or something, you know, with his boots in his hand. Um, so, yeah, so it's so a volume 19 of, of, of the reprint um, would, would be a fantastic page to hang on my wall alongside the, 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 the few pages of original artwork I'm lucky enough to own. Fantastic. Well, well, we'll grant you that virtually. The cover to the Dutch reprint, volume uh, issue 19, uh, by John Gillett. And then we'll give you both first two pages for Mike Weston. So the uh, they're running out onto the pitch and Billy finding the boots as well. Uh, and it also, can, it also includes at the bottom of the uh, second page that wonderful sort of uh, sound effect of Fatoom as he kicks <laughs> yeah that's sweetly struck sound that is Fatoom yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to turn you right to the end of the book to the very last episode in this book which I guess then is Tom Kerr mm-hmm. um, and if I, I'd like a page with the Billy's Boots logo so I'm going to pick the first page of the last episode in this book because it, it, it's got all those things I like from a football book. It's got um, the motion sort of lines for the flight of the ball and the movement of Billy around the pitch. Yeah. And it's also got people narrating what's happening on the pitch, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, speech bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two great things from football. And, of course, he cracks the ball in yeah. uh, with a bump this time. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll take that page to hang virtually, uh, and I will post all these images as ever on all the socials and uh, in the Facebook gallery so people can see what we're talking about. Fantastic, Richard. Anything else you need to add about Billy's Boots and its long and successful um, career in British comics and beyond? Uh, no, 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 no. I think, I think um, uh, we've, we've looked in quite a lot of detail. Oh, yeah, I would just encourage anyone... Um, to 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 buy it to you know to get us hopefully to that point where we can have another volume uh where you know we can start to see uh john's uh john gillett's artwork in there and to see you know how how fred baker can continue uh to make billy uh get separated from his boots in an increasingly unlikely number of ways Yes, absolutely. And some more soap opera for the Gran and Billy having to move yeah. home again. And I, yeah, I'm interested to see some John Gillett artwork now. I'm going to have to track this down uh, and have a look at it. But yeah, let's hope we get another volume of yeah. Billy's Boots before too long. So, Richard, um, you know, you've mentioned your specialist subject probably is, I guess, the Eagle and Dan Dare. Tell us a bit about um, boysadventurecomics.blogspot.com. Uh, so that's very kind. Uh, so, so that's my blog. Um, I started it about three and a half years ago. Um, I mean, I've always been interested in comics, uh, and collected comics. So the new Eagle, uh, and my mum, uh, shout out to my mum for not throwing them out, uh, <laughs> onto them. So, you know, so I still have my, you know, mainly my copies of, of new Eagle are on the shelf. Um, and I guess, you know, I was getting, New Eagle, and at the time you could still sort of find original Eagle annuals, you know, from the the 70s, you know, in in jumble sales. So that you know, I sort of tracked back Dan Dare to say, "Oh, there's Dan Dare in this comic that I'm reading each week." But then there was a Dan Dare 
in 2000 AD. So that was, uh, you know, I was interested in his sort of 2000 AD adventures and then original Eagle. Um, uh, so, and that has just expanded uh, as, as the way hobbies and interests do um, to be an interest in boys comics, you know, typically published by Fleetway, although not 2000 AD um, and all the various titles that that included. Normally uh, I look at titles that are, published after i was after i was born so they've got to be um after 1975 um so some of them are you know our big uh, titles that ran so new eagle ran for you know over, over a decade but there are plenty of other comics that like you say the hatch match and dispatch um approach meant that they ran for i think is it 21 weeks there's a lot of comics that run for 21 or 22 weeks aren't there um yeah so, you know, so I was collecting these things, you know, comics, annuals, spin-off magazines, all sorts of things. Um, and so and I was doing a little bit of writing for uh, for John Freeman and his Down the Tubes website. I'd come into contact with John through some fanzine work. Um, and I wanted to do more to sort of contribute to that. But I, I had a, you know, my children were a little bit younger at that stage and I didn't I didn't have sort of two hours of an evening where I could sit down and sort of, you know, write 500 words on a topic of my choice. I didn't, I didn't have that time, but I wanted to do something to, um, so I, so a, a blog seemed the, the best sort of approach to do something, even if it wasn't a lot. Um, so yeah, so I started that in, uh, I think September, 2016. Uh, and the challenge I set myself, you know, was to look at, at these comics that, that I was interested in, but to but to do it every day, to do it every day, that was that was the challenge. It felt like I could do one. No, nobody's making me do it every day. This is purely you know uh, selfishness and ego that makes me think I can do this every day. Um, so it means that you know I've I've covered quite a lot of topics, and you cover you know different topics from different angles. Um, so sometimes there will be 2000 AD slightly related content on there uh, because there's a lot of crossover in terms of writers and artists from 2000 AD to things that I'm interested in or uh, let's take uh, James Peaty who was on yes last week um, yeah. or the last episode that, that I listened to um, so yeah, he was talking about the work that he'd done for, for Warhammer monthly uh, and I thought oh that's interesting I've got a nearly complete collection of Warhammer monthly I'll go and see what he's written for those so I fished out half a dozen issues and then you know it's very you know I can scan scan those in and you know if you like if you want to know you know if you want to find out about his really early work uh, you know I can put together a blog post you know in half an hour about that so it's not taking me two hours to do something you know it's sort of 20 minutes or half an hour I try and spend as a sort of a maximum on one post um, so yeah it's I try and cover all sorts of things you know probably from the original Eagle up till now so some of that you know through living in London you know there'll be events on a you know a gosh or an orbital or a, you know a museum or a gallery you know I try and cover things like that um, some of it is just books that I've um, acquired that I think are interesting or unusual spin-offs uh, that people might not have seen um, because I think I, I don't want to have justice collection sat here in my room i think it's you know Im important to to share and to share the the not uh, without trying to sound too pretentious about it to, to have that knowledge so that if you know if you want to google some something you know you have more chance of finding an answer to it um so i think about um so power man this this amazing nigeria yeah, that you've got at the moment yeah yeah so so power man uh so 
people we we know that Dave Gibbons and Brian Bolland worked on it in the mid nineteen seventies. It ran for about thirty five issues, uh, and then you know the political situation in Nigeria d- deteriorates, and it all just you know it grinds to a halt. Um, and we know that they did a lot for it, um, but it's only when you actually get a copy. Uh, and start looking through it that you realize how much they've done for it um so i use that as an example because i i sort of found stuff in you know in fanzines um that, that i also interested in collecting uh, and put together some pieces and then you know just google searching on the images or looking out on ebay for copies that come up i was slowly sort of putting you know it's not scans of the whole image of the whole comic sorry um but enough to sort of say, look, here's a little bit of Brian's work, Dave's work, you know, Carlos, Carlos Esquera, you know, is contributing as well. Eric Bradbury is contributing. Um, you know, and that, in that instance, led to somebody from Canada getting in touch and saying um, that he had a number of comics. And, you know, he, he just typed into Google to find out, well, what are these things that I have? Uh, and, and the blog came up. Uh, so he contacted me uh, to say he had them um, and would I be interested in acquiring them? Um so yeah, so if if you're one of those people whose Facebook feed I pollute at about twenty five past six most mornings with my latest thing that I'm interested in sharing, then uh, 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 please I hope you're enjoying it. Um, if not, I apologise, but it is only six twenty five. There'll be other things to look at on your Facebook feed. Well, yes, and I I mean, and like I guess like a lot of people, I've signed up you know by putting my email in the box on your blog, and so every every morning I get the update. Uh, you know, do you manage to how do you manage to keep it up daily? Um, it, it requires you know it's uh, when, when I'm not you know when I'm very close to not having anything you know like a stockpile of articles, then it can get a bit. Oh my God! What am I going to talk about? Uh, because, like I say, so I've been doing it for three and a half years. So there are about, um, I think, the posts I'm looking at now that I've got scheduled to come up over the next month or so will get us to nearly uh, thirteen hundred posts. So you know, that, so that that's quite a lot. Even if you that's strip, a lot. <laughs> even if you strip out the sort of events and things and signings at you know at Gosh, um, you know that is a lot of content of stuff um and there are certainly a sort of you know if i look around my study and i think oh should i talk about that or talk about that you know there is a point at which i'm getting to going i've done that now i've done that now i've done that as well you know it's a bit like oh hang on you know you know it's not an infinite supply of stuff um uh in in my study that that I i can talk about um so some of it is about definitely about stockpiling some stuff um so that you you know um you don't get too down about it and that's why you know, quite often, I, you know, it's why it's 15, 20 minutes to do a post because then, you know, in an evening, you know, my wife will go out singing one evening a week. So that's my opportunity to think, right, I've got, you know, two hours, two and a half hours now. I've got to try and do a week's worth of stuff in one go so that it doesn't take over every evening um, uh, or all my spare time. So, so there's, you know, there's an element of, of challenge about it um, and that, 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 I, that, I, that I enjoy it and I get a kick out of doing. And it's just a great way... You know, because all these, you know, you, once you tag things in an article, you then find that you make links that you wouldn't have known about before. Go, oh, that artist, oh, they worked on that as well. Oh, I hadn't really thought about that. Or if, you know, somebody has a question on Facebook, now I can think, ah, I've copied, you know, I've done that. You know, you know, you want to know about John John Gillett on Bully's Boots? That's fine. You know, I, I've covered him several times. So, you know, here's a, here's a link to something. Here's a link to something else. Um, so you can answer questions quite quickly 
with it as well. Um, and um, so, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll run interviews uh, with people that are kind enough to give their time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good you know it's hard work and you know when i sort of think oh, i'm going away for a week it's like okay right so i've got to have stuff lined up to cover that whole week and then a couple of days when i get back so you know i've got a bit of breathing space um so yeah I, you know i'll keep it going for as long as i i can like i say you know i will you know there's a point in which you know you run out of stuff uh to talk about or you think oh, i'm interested in that but maybe other people aren't so some of it is about putting stuff up there for posterity or to spark other questions i did a thing on uh, keith burns the artist uh he's oh, right yeah recently started doing um commando covers um so uh you know which i really love you know he's a fantastic artist uh you know i came across him you know when he did his johnny red um comic um and then he started in commander so i did that and when i was going through it i suddenly you know i said here they all are and somebody went oh what about this one i went oh oh i thought i was very careful oh no i've missed one um so some of it is that you know is to find is to sort of prove stuff to me to go yeah i have got all those or oh i'd unexpectedly missed one i didn't know that uh same with dan cornwell i did a thing on his all, all the issues of the prog and the meg that he, the magazine that he'd appeared in thinking i've got all these and then i was going through it when i suddenly went oh i've got that one oh i've got that one <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's a bit of a you know it's a challenge as well to go right okay and but then i can use it to you know say okay i must next time i order something from rebellion it's like right i've got to, i've got to go back and order you know you know a copy of the prog from a couple of years ago um you know there won't be any extra postage on it so yeah so something's a challenge to me to go you know have i got all these things or or, or where, where else is this stuff covered? Um, and, and it maybe it's covered brilliantly in other places. It may be that it just it, it isn't covered because it's too obscure. Um, because, you know, one of the things I, I really like to look at is comics that you know are, are not so well known that have maybe slipped through the cracks a bit because maybe either you know they're from an era you know when we didn't have the internet and you didn't have everything written down um you know if, if fleetway put out you know a, an odd comic in the 80s or 90s you know unless you go back and look at magazines that were produced at the time you might not come across that thing um or to look at sort of comics that were produced by people who were using them as a marketing tool i'm thinking of something like i've got this fantastic when i say i've got a fantastic picture of bruno brooks you know i i, I do i do mean that because uh it's a steve parkhouse picture of bruno right. brooks um, oh, right um but you know you would you know without a copy of this comic uh which i think was put out by like the national literacy literacy trust you know to encourage reading uh, kids to read uh and you know that's issue three and it's like I, I don't know what issue two looks like i don't know what issue one looks like you can't you know it's google proof you know there aren't copies of it hanging around you know nobody is archiving it anywhere um but you know it, you know it's a high quality thing they've got artists in um to to do good stuff that you wouldn't expect to find there um so you know finding artists where you where you least expect them i always always find that interesting so um yeah whether that's you know british comics or i've like i said i've looked at power man which is a nigerian comic there's also um pop which is another nigerian comic which was published about the same time um i've only got one issue of that you know but it's got a lovely ron smith strip in it and it's like hmm yeah you know yeah i would not expect to find ron smith you know working in a nigerian comic in the 1970s but here he is um and on the blog, you know, the last couple of days, uh, we've had a Zambian comic on, um, 
called Orbit, uh, which John Freeman um, uh, has put up a fantastic piece about on on Down the Tubes, uh, all about the morning he spent researching that, um, which has got some great uh, sort of Martin Aysbury cover art to it. And uh, and that, as a, as a comic, ran for 40 years. Um, so, but, you know, we, you know, you would never have come across it really in this country before. I spotted it because somebody put something up on um, on a Facebook group that I'm on and you go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what I can find out about that. And it's like, oh, actually, Sidney Jordan, you know, who wrote uh, Jeff Hawke, um, the newspaper strip in the Daily Express, yes. turns out, oh, actually, well, I wrote that, he says. And it's like, oh, hang on, oh, oh, you know, who, who knew that? And so, yeah, so finally the, these sort of, comics that have, have fallen through through the gaps um i really like finding those as well fantastic well first of all hats off to you for doing it every day um you know i thought i was doing well getting something out every fortnight but <laughs> daily fantastic and then you know to our listeners if anybody for people who are interested in this sort of stuff these classic boys adventure comics as you say uh you know like and reading about dave gibbons and uh, brian bolland working on power man but billy's boots and all these other things Go to the link that will be in the show notes for this episode. You'll find your way to Richard's blog at boysadventurecomics.blogspot.com and sign up for the emails uh, daily. It will drop in every morning. It's great stuff. Perfect. Thank you. That's very kind, Damon. And, uh, no, no, no problem at all. And of course, you've mentioned you write uh, some stuff for John Freeman on Down the Tubes. Uh, and of course, you've turned up in the Comic Scene magazine. Yeah. Um, uh, what what other articles have you written for them? Anything else that I should uh, know about? Uh, so yeah, so I would say so yeah, so I turn up on on down the tubes, and that that's normally uh, when uh, John sees something you know particularly interesting, or well, I think particularly interesting, uh, and then he has carte blanche to take that away uh, and improve it by about hundred percent, which he normally does by the time it actually lands on on, on down the tubes. Um, so so yeah, so so stuff that is there is normally something topical from the blog. Articles that I've written for a comic scene. So uh, my favourite Fury covers that Carlos uh, Esquera did. I looked also. Uh, I wrote a Charlie's War article, uh, sort of the long and complicated history of collecting Charlie's War, because there are obviously there are ten volumes that Titan published. There are the new volumes that the Treasury British Comics have published. Um, but the story was also reprinted in New Eagle and a couple of very older, much older Titan books reprints. Um, and there was one I discovered when I was writing it, there was one particular issue that New Eagle didn't publish. And in fact, I think they didn't publish it twice um, because I think the, the content was deemed to be, well, I can only guess, but the, the content of that particular issue, even by the standards of Charlie's War, is quite gory, especially because it's not happening on the battlefield. I guess the gore is somehow more acceptable on a battlefield, but this is definitely not happening on a battlefield, but it's a quite a, a bloody episode uh, and is right. missed out from the publication of Charlie's War when it uh, appears in New Eagle. True War as a short-lived uh, sort of three-issue magazine slash comic that Fleetway put out in the early 1980s. So that's sort of, it's trying to be educational because it's got quite a lot of, you know, photos in and it's telling you about war, but it mixes it up with uh, comic strip artwork. So the articles, and they have great artists, Jim Watson, Ian Kennedy in there. Uh, so that, um, and, and, a, and a few other pieces as well. So I, I think maybe maybe 10 articles I've written for them and a couple of pieces for... Um, the fan scene publication, if you've uh, come across that, David Hathaway's Price 
is sort of a celebration of 50 years of comic fandom. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, so I've written in there um, because, again, sort of uh, collecting old British fanzines is an interest of mine, partly to glean knowledge around, you know, the stories uh, and, and the sort of what was what was going on, what was what was being published at the time. Um, so they obviously they go back to sort of uh, I've got some very early issues uh, of fancy advertiser, uh, you know, when it really is, you know, just an advertising uh, magazine, you know, a copy of the first, the replacement program for the first ever um, British comics convention, which famously has the first listing of Alan Moore in fandom. You know, it has a, uh, they used to do those sort of lists of, you know, because they've sold tickets in advance, they know who's coming to these events. So it's like a sort of a shout out to the faithful who bought tickets in advance. Um, and Alan Moore's name, you know, A. Moore. I think he's down, actually, he's down as non attending because he's only 15 at the time. Oh, so, right. <laughs> uh, he couldn't make it all the way from Northampton or wherever he was uh, to Birmingham, but he's there, you know, A. Moore, uh, 15 years old, um, can't attend. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so I've, so I've written for David um, either on uh, comics fanzine history uh, or, or or dan there um because again you know that's my uh, primary uh, interest and i see you've also you've written an introduction for one of the dan dare was it the titan collections uh i sorry in in space was it uh yes they, yeah that, that's exactly right um so yeah i wrote the introduction to that which was looking at uh, as we touched on earlier sort of dan dare reprints from around the world um so Dan appears so sometimes the sort of almost the whole package of Eagle was taken to you know to a different country uh, and the and the contents were a bit merged together so you ended up with so like the Australian version of Eagle is is quite eagerly whereas the Dutch version uh, which is called Arend um has strips from other Holton titles in it so maybe like um uh, Swift would be in that um so it so appears in uh, in Scandinavia as well in uh, title Falcon uh, another one called Hauk and then there are other comics which just reprint say the Dandere strip um, so in Italian and my Italian isn't very good but it's called something like uh, it's a supplement so it's Il Giorno dei Ragazza. I think it's like I think it's like the Sunday supplement it's like yeah. the Sunday supplement for kids in your Sunday newspaper you know. Um, so you know that that just has the Dan Dare strip in it, but 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 that ran you know in Italy for you know years and years and years. Um, so there are some comics that just have Dan reprinted in them, and there are some comics which are which are more like you know are trying to ape Eagle um, and give you that sort of that full color Dan Dare thing, the cutaway drawing, some humor strips, uh, and you know, like I say, maybe mixed in with some local content as well. Um, so I guess that's you know as part of the package that. Um, Holton Press or uh, their predecessors or their successors would have been, you know, able to offer. Uh, so yes, yeah, so this was looking at Dan Dare strips around the world, and that was a few years ago. Now and since then, I would say, you know, it's probably you know another couple of comics have you know come to light um, where Dan Dare story, the original Dan Dare stories, have been reprinted. So yeah, you know, if you try to collect those, uh, you know, you, you'd need uh, you need a lot of room. Fantastic, and I presume uh, I'm going to. I sort of feel almost uh, trepidatious about asking this, but have you now got a collection of the original Eagle comics? Uh, not, not all of them. So, oh, right. I mean, it would be nearly. I mean, you know, 
when I say nearly a thousand, I'm, I'm aware there's that there's a lot of them. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of them, but it's not a lot compared to 2000 AD. But it, you know, but there are a lot of them. So I probably have about room for about about a third of those uh, on my shelf at the moment. Um, and yeah, but but the rest of the, of the shelves are taken up with um, with annuals with um, boys' adventure comics of the 80s. So runs of new eagle speed tornado mask uh teenage mutant hero turtles all sorts of other things uh star lord mo- most of the almost all the 2000 ad's that have got dan dare in them i think i just yes. need issue two but you know what issue two uh, slightly you know, slightly pricey slightly pricey I, I you know i need a copy that's in slightly terrible condition uh, you know, because I'm not too fussed about the condition. It doesn't need to have a, a space spinner on it, you know. Um, so, yeah, a slightly knackered uh, copy of issue two would be uh, delightful. Um, but other, you know, short-run comics that Fleetwood did, Red Dwarf, uh, Supernaturals, Toxic Crusaders, Crisis, Deadline. Yeah, the, the, there's there's all sorts here. Uh, yeah. Sonic the Comic, I, yeah, I really like Sonic the Comic is... I mean, it's got a lot of Mick McMahon artwork in it, um, but yeah, that, that seems may seem hard to acquire, you know, or quite expensive to acquire by you know, per issue. And there is, I don't know, a couple of hundred issues maybe. So yeah, so yeah, I, I'd like some more Sonic the comic, but but yeah, they can be quite expensive. Ah, oh, fantastic! Uh, the episode that I've recorded, but it's not out yet, as we record tonight, is um, about Toxic. So that will be the episode that's out just before two weeks before your episode. Okay, uh, if that makes <laughs> sense. Talking to the, you know, like Conrad on Space Minutes 2000, I'm talking to the future now from the past. Or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, James Peaty's just been on with Screamer. Carl Reader's coming on to do Toxic, and then it'll be yourself and Billy's Boots. Okay. I look forward to that. <laughs> and that seems like an awful lot of work you've got on the go at the moment, Richard. Any, <laughs> anything else that you've got to plug or mention at the moment? Um, um, I suppose I'll be um, I'll be at Lawless um, in May. I don't know if you'll be there as well, Eamon. Um, Unfortunately, not this year. I'm going to Enniskillen uh, this uh, year. Oh, so, good, yeah. yeah, good choice. Um, no, I, I'd, I'd like to go to Enniskillen, but anyway, but I, I'll be at. Uh, lawless so i'll probably be wearing a dan dare t-shirt so i'm easy to avoid or or spot as as the need may be um so i look forward to that um and i'm going to go uh to the lakes uh comic art festival in october i've, I've never been there um but i've uh i'm gonna go so yeah i'm hoping they're gonna have some well i know they'll have some really good guests and it'll be very different to see sort of a whole town you know the sort of that european model of a comics convention where sort of a, a whole town gets into the spirit of it you know it's not just in a big warehouse on the edge of town somewhere um so yeah so yeah a couple of conventions this year but yeah i've seen the guest list for in uh and, and i can definitely see why, why you'd want to go you know that should be yeah. fantastic um I mean, i'm in touch with david hunt at the moment just trying to set up an interview with him so I just need to pull my finger out and send him some questions uh, and then hopefully we'll we'll run that on the blog uh, before then. Okay. So if you want to compliment Richard on his fine blogging, uh, you know, find him at Lawless or the Lakes. Uh, at Lawless, he'll probably be the one chat wearing the Dandero T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely in a, stand out. That in a bit, or the, uh, the Dread <laughs> T-shirts, yeah. Richard, thank you so much for giving up your time and thank you for doing all the research uh, for this episode and, of course, for the astonishing work you do on your blog. Um, it's been great fun. Perfect. No, thank, thank you very much uh, for, 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 for letting me on. Uh, it's been really good. I really enjoyed it. 
and do get hold of uh, the Billy Billy's Boots hardback because it's fantastic. Uh, what a blast back to my past, my first comic experiences. And here he is, Billy Dane, is still going. And that's it. So thank you to everybody for listening to Mega City Book Club. Find all the details at megacitybookclub.com, which will also include links to Richard's blog uh, and hopefully to some of his articles on Dan the Tubes and comic scene as well. And if you need to get in touch with me, do like Richard did, email mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. So that's it. Until next time, when we're shaking a football rattle or passing judgment on another great British comic, it's time for goodbyes. So it's goodbye from me and... And it's goodbye from me. 